1029 The Hog presents another Bob and Brian podcast. If you've forgotten the difference between watching a movie and experiencing one, you need to visit Marcus Theaters. Start by visiting MarcusTheaters.com. Time to talk music news with each other. Heck no, that's what cooking is for. Music news, we bring in an expert, Gary Graff. Good morning, Gary. How are you? All right. How are you guys doing? We're good. A little shocked that we found out all the lead that's in dark chocolate this morning. But anyway, on to music news. Yeah, you know, that'll get you get you to milk chocolate that much quicker. <laughs> and I'm a, I'm a dark chocolate fan, too, let me tell you. How do you feel? Um, all, all of a sudden, not as good as, <laughs> not I, as good, when I woke right. up. Yeah, so I've been reading articles about that. And uh, it here's a line. It'll take all the uh, all the hope out of you. It's virtually impossible to avoid these two metals completely: lead and cadmium. Yay. Okay, all right. Stay, stay away from magnets, and obviously, don't <laughs> don't melt any of your dark chocolate over a gas stove, or, or you will die. There you go. Sure. I have. Uh, I will admit that the Super Bowl halftime show was as distracted as I have ever been because all I could think was, did Rihanna put on that much weight? Well, yeah. And then the other uh, question was, she's pregnant, right? She's pregnant again. And that was it. You know, if you were watching online during the show, and, of course, my phone was blowing up, and, you know, is she pregnant? Is she pregnant? Well, yeah, she was. You know, and there's a way to do a baby reveal when you're 100-whatever feet in the air over the Super Bowl. Um, she says she just did an interview with British Vogue, and she says that she didn't know she was pregnant when she agreed to perform. Okay. So that would have been back in the summer. And the dancers, interestingly, the dancers are all out there saying they didn't realize it until actually during the performance because they said she kept that uh, the outfit zipped up the whole time in rehearsals. So what did we learn about Rihanna? She can keep her mouth shut. Yeah, you know, good for her. Yeah. I think yeah. she's got the the top-of-the-line baby reveal announcement. I, I, like, think I, who's... I, I think you're going to have to go a long way to top that. Yeah. What are they going right. to do, do for the gender reveal now? How do you, uh, you, know, you know? Just watch for the next uh, the next big gig she does, maybe the baseball all-star game or something. <laughs> um, we'll maybe he'll be here. Maybe he'll probably be here by then. Now, with all that being said, um, she was the first woman to perform at halftime, pregnant. But right. I, heard, I, I haven't heard any rave reviews. I've heard words like, well, it's kind of boring. You know, it's. I think it was. I thought it was very good, and what I liked about it was she didn't kind. Of, she didn't go so gratuitously over the top like we've seen some of the others. She just kind of went out there and did her songs on a in a good looking production. Uh, yeah. The complaints were that there was no like surprise guests that showed right. up. Yeah, or anything like spe- that. It wasn't a spectacle. It was just a spectacular performance. And so it's not going to be one of the most memorable, but it's not going to be one of the most lampooned either. No, 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 no. Yeah. No, it'll, it'll fit nicely there in the middle. It is the second most watched Super Bowl halftime show of all time uh, behind Katy Perry in 2015. And, of course, it outperformed the game itself. Yes, people showed up at halftime who at didn't halftime necessarily to want to Rihanna. see football, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they're bigger numbers. So, you know, like I said, it'll go down, you know, somewhere in the middle. Uh, interestingly, there was an interview. Well, I don't know if you saw Patrick Mahomes on um, on Kimmel the other night, but uh, he said he he said he heard it was the halftime show was great, and that Andy Reid told you know told them they were benched if they left the locker room to watch it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, Andy what, was... This is 
this is what happens when you're behind yeah. at the half. It's yes. like you're, you're Down focusing 10. on freaking football. Yeah. Well, they came out and they played football for the yeah, second they did. half. Yeah, so they, they score every time they had the ball the second half? Yes. Uh, three on, three we, unanswered. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. Uh, so, you know, listen, I bet some of them caught it on their phones while they weren't on the field. I was not outraged by anything half. Rihanna did. No. I wasn't blown away by anything no. Rihanna did. I, I think thought, I'll remember it forever. It's like, oh, yeah, that's the one yeah. where she was pregnant. Yeah. Right. And then, okay. uh, you know, I think the musical moment of the Super Bowl belonged to Chris Stapleton. You know, his na- his national anthem was wonderful. And, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And, he, yeah. and he sang it too damn fast because I had the over. It was the over well, the the number was two minutes and five seconds. I said, "Well, it's Chris Stapleton. He's a blues singer. He will slow it down and blues it up, right?" No, he's he, he's also a Nashville beer drinking country guy who wanted to see the football game. And he did it two minutes and one second. I think is what he yeah. sang it in, and it was a fine version of the national it, anthem. It was sounded great. So yeah, so he'll go down as as the best musical moment of the Super Bowl. Really? Yeah, I think so. All right. Uh, let's, all right. Also right here, uh, we have the winners are in the Forbes winners anyway. And the winner is Genesis. Who would have thunk? Well, so this is what happens when you sell your catalog. Uh, Genesis and Sting both sold their song catalogs last year and they wind up one and two on the Forbes list of the, of the highest paid entertainers. Genesis at, not, at 230 million, Sting at 210 million. Uh, you know, they were also both toured, so they had touring income. But, you know, that's the kind of thing, you know, sell your catalog. And, yeah, you're going to be in among the top earners. Also, for, of rock and roll earners, Rolling Stones were number seven at $98 million. Uh, Taylor Swift was number nine at $92 million. That'll go up this year because of her tour. And Bad Bunny at number 10 at $88 million. So, And also on the list, Tyler Perry, Trey Parker, and Matt Stone, uh, James L. Brooks and Matt Groening, Brad Pitt, James Cameron. Are we back to pre-COVID numbers now in attendance and concert tours and all that stuff? Or have we throttled back up to 100%? Um, pretty close to it. I think there were, I know a lot of the shows I went to last year were sold out. In fact, and so, you know, and I know the number, the end of the year numbers were good for everybody. And, you know, Live Nation stock went up, so... So I think we are. I think, you know, concerts are back to relative normal. And you know, it, not not as much backstage, but, you know, evidence, Bruce Springsteen's tour, he played one show without three members this uh, this past week who were out with COVID. He didn't knock not, two other guys down with his guitar, did he? Right. No, he didn't hit any of them. They weren't out for a guitar. You know, he, uh. did, he did hit his roadie with a guitar, and that's a shtick they've been doing for decades. Yeah. And almost never miss now, you know, now almost, <laughs> um, you know, but it's, it, I don't think it's ever hit the guy in the head before. He's, it's <laughs> him in the him hand down. and the arm and the shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. The downside to that is <clears throat> one, you take out your guitar tech who catches <laughs> your guitar. And two, if he misses the damage to the guitar that you need for work the next night, right? Exactly. So maybe now we just hand the guitar to the guitar tech. A nice safe uh, rock right. show. I think, I think, they'll, I think <laughs> they'll go back. They'll go back to it. A it, nice safe it, rock show. A nice safe, well mannered you know, show. The guy, the guy might have a football helmet and shoulder pads. Yeah. Next time. Hey, looping back idea. to the soup. Looping back to the Super Bowl for a second. The U two commercial. Yeah. 
Was that the announcement of their residency in Las Vegas? It was. You know, it was, I guess it was the statement of intent because the place isn't built yet. They're not breaking ground on it till next month. But U2 is going to be the first music act to perform at the Sphere, which is going to be on the, on the Las Vegas Strip. And it's basically going to be a giant fishbowl in which they'll hold concerts. So we don't know what dates. We don't know how many shows. We do know U2 will be playing Octum Baby in its entirety, that album. And we do know there will be a different drummer. Um, you know, he's, he's a guy, uh, his name's Brom Vandenberg. And he's from, you know, he's from the Netherlands and has been a rock drummer and in a bunch of bands there. And he's come across U2's radar over the years. Uh, Larry Mullen Jr. Has, had said prior to this announcement, he was whatever you two did in concert during 2023, he would not be doing. He is damaged goods and needs time to rest, recover, and repair. So that indicates some surgery may, hmm. you know, maybe in the future if it hasn't happened already. Boy, drumming is a tough business. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, look what it did. You know, Phil Collins, any drummer you talk to, will will tell you they have carpal tunnel issues, they have neck and. Spinal spine issues, stuff, yeah. you know, yeah, it's just, it's it's tough. How many seats is this arena supposed to be? You uh, know, they haven't, I haven't seen that yet. I think it's arena size, like large arena size, so somewhere in the eight to 10,000 range. Because they've done this, I mean, building a, a venue for a particular act, that's kind of a common Vegas move for... They did, you know, they built, uh, what was it, Caesars Palace, uh, built the Coliseum for Celine Dion... Uh, there have been a, there have been a few others. Well, MGM Grand just built a venue, venue. Um, but you have uh, the Luxor, you know, build a theater for Blue Man Group. A lot Wasn't, of theaters have been built. built boy, if they'll build a play. theater for Blue Man Group, a group that throws <laughs> up marshmallows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wasn't Britney Spears? Wasn't Britney Spears' place that was built for her? Right. That was a plan uh, in Hollywood. I don't Hollywood. think that one was built for her. No. Especially for her. No. And this isn't being built especially for you too. It's just they were right. they're going to be the act, and then then you'll get lots of other acts to play there. Boy, if I'm a Bon Jovi fan, and most people are, I would be really excited about Richie Sambora rejoining the band because if I go to see Bon Jovi, I want to see that band, not yeah. John Bon Jovi and a few guys. Yeah, agree, uh, without a doubt. So Richie Sambora did reveal this week that he is in quote discussion with Bon Jovi about rejoining the band. Uh, you know, he left in 2013, played with them at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction in 2018, and he says, you know, we're talking about it, and his, his quote is, I don't think there's any reason not to at this point. Uh, he did allude to John Bon Jovi's vocal issues uh, that surfaced last year and said, you know, John is taking a breather right now, taking a rest, but at, at any point... When Bon Jovi does decide to tour again, it sounds like Richie Zambor is going to be with him. He even said, you know, he hopes to be writing songs with Bon Jovi. So that's exciting news, almost as exciting as the reason he was doing an interview, which he was on the mass Singer British version. As well, the, how is that fair? Because they grab the mass Singer from... I saw Dick Van Dyke was on The mass Singer. Yeah, How he can was? he compete with Richie Sambora? Well, well not, no, he was, not the U.K. version, Dick but... Dick Van yeah. Dyke's on the U.S. version. Richie's on the U.K. He was the masked potato. Yeah, but did they get the same kind of people for the U.K. version? I think so, yeah. Yeah, they get the same kind of caliber of, you know, 
Well, so how can you have a, a guy who sings in a band up against some soccer player? Or, it's about as crazy or as like British version of Terry Bradshaw. It's as crazy as having Christy Yamaguchi compete in a dancing contest. Exactly. Against- <laughs> exactly. And keep in mind, it's not the people competing against the people. It's the potato competing against the unicorn. Or, yeah, right. Know, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> right. Go it's ahead and describe your awful. one passage through the mass scare. No, I watched it twice. Oh, you have. Tell, tell Gary what you saw. I saw men holding their heads and screaming <laughs> like they were teenage girls seeing the Beatles come off the plane. Well, if you, I will tell you if you if you watched it with me, you would see a man holding his head screaming, although in a very different way. Well, yeah, but I'm telling you what I saw. I know. No, I've seen it too, and, I, and I've done and watched it. The excitement was unbelievable. <laughs> and Richie Sambora wanted imagine yeah. imagine how insane yeah. it went when yeah. they announced that he <laughs> was the Sambora. Here's something I don't know how anybody couldn't know because nothing's kept secret anymore or quiet. Maybe they weren't trying to keep it secret. Maybe nobody was talking about. It. Stephen still says he and Neil Young get together every week. Yeah. And yeah. So, you know, as part of the, the, those two are going to play together at a benefit concert in April in Los Angeles. And during an interview to promote it, uh, Stills revealed that, you know, every Wednesday he and Neil get together and jam. He said, we hang out. They play, you know, they play their own songs. They play other people's songs. They just, they listen to records and they sit around and, and he says they have a good time, you know. And listen, they've, they've been friends since the mid-60s. You know, and been in bands, and they've had fallings ins and falling fallings. Well, they've out been in a couple other. of bands together. They've been in a few bands yeah, together. Yeah, Buffalo Springfield, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. So, is it Young fair? Band. Is it fair to say that uh, Neil Young never had a problem with uh, with uh, Stephen Stills? Stills? Oh no, no. You know, Neil Young's had a problem with everybody he's okay. worked with, but somehow these two, and partly because they are, and they've explained. I've when I've interviewed them, they've talked about this before. They're guitar players, and that's. They get along best when they have guitars around their necks, and they love playing together. Um, so, but Stills, Stills also says in the same interview he's done touring. He said the idea of touring absolutely appalls him. Also says he can't imagine being on the bus for 14 hours. You can't take drugs anymore. It's not fun. Go, go on tour with <laughs> well, Willie Nelson. <laughs> you could. I, th- I think, yeah, you could. He'd be well, just fine. Certainly his. So yeah, but that was choices. nice. To, that was nice to see that those two old, you know, bandmates are are doing something together every week. I actually have uh, what that kind of like when I saw the, your your rundown this morning, the Richie Sambora thing. I thought, well, that's great news. And then yeah. to see that these two guys were okay with each other, I thought, well, that's great news. So they're not uh, all upset with each other as they get yeah. on into their their senior years. Yeah, I mean, they're both in their mid-late 70s, and, you know, it's time to realize, you know, the BS is the BS, and if somebody's actually your friend, then, then have a friendship. What is your uh, what is your food weakness, Gary? What 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 thing can't you lay off of if it's, if it's around? There are so many. Just pick there one. So, oh, I don't know. You know, put a, put a nice steaming uh, plate of crispy french fries in front of me okay. and keep your hands away. That's how I am when it comes to documentaries. I've realized this about myself. If there's a documentary, no matter what it is, I'll watch it. Good. And they're good, they're good for you. And now we have two more coming out? Well, there we have a lot more than two, but we have two Beatles-related ones. One is a documentary called Daytime Revolution, 
which is about when John Lennon and Yoko Ono co-hosted the Mike Douglas show for a week in 1972. <laughs> now, I understand why Mike Douglas would have them on the show for a week. It was great for him. But why did they want to be on, of all shows, Mike Douglas, an afternoon talk show? You know, because they were into absurdist pop art. And what could be more absurd pop art than being on, you know, maybe on the Dinah Shore show? <laughs> you know, but uh, but Mike Douglas with John and Yoko, and this in 72, this is at the height of the the bagism and, you know, everything else they were into. And to Mike Douglas's credit, he gave them free run on the show. They they got to pick guests like George Carlin and, and Chuck Berry. Yeah, because they, typically you would see somebody like Tony Fields or Charlie right. Callis on uh, on the Mike right. Douglas show with them, not John and Yoko. Right. So they were, they were active co-hosts of this. So the documentary has been wrapped, and it's currently being shot for a distributor. And I think that'll be a fun one. You can buy the episodes. They did put out that whole week on DVD, so you can actually see the episodes themselves. But I think it'll be nice to hear some of the behind-the-scenes stuff and, uh, you know, and, and just hear how that all happened. And then, as well as that, there's going to be another documentary about Paul McCartney and Wings. Uh, McCartney made his own a number of years ago called Wingspan, and now there's a, there's another one coming out. Details are kind of sketchy on that for the moment. Uh, just they've just announced that it's being made, it's going to happen, and then stay tuned for details. That sort of reminds me of something I read in your book about Alice Cooper. Yes, uh, which is now available. Uh, available. Alice Cooper at seventy five. You yeah. should. The one that's available for sale everywhere books are sold. Go that's ahead. That's the one. Go ahead, Gary. Pitch <laughs> that's that. That's the one. Pitch that oh, Alice. I cracked it open. And I read in there about how uh, Alice, uh, is it a Christmas charity event? That he likes, he the, says he, the, the Christmas pudding. He likes to uh, pair up people that normally wouldn't mm-hmm. be together. I forget who he paired up with, Glenn Campbell, but I thought it was. Yeah, it was like Lenny Kravitz or Joe Walsh, maybe. Right, it was it like was some hard rocker. Maybe it was Vince Neil, and it, but yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, so that's like John and Yoko being on the Mike Douglas oh, yeah. show. It's just an odd pairing, and you see what happens. Alice Cooper and Glenn Campbell were an odd pairing. Well, yeah. but they well, had a lot. Even in common. so, they golfed yeah. together, right, all the time. Yeah, oh, but yeah. they had more than that in common. Both of their wives were former dancers. They both enjoyed golf. They both came from very uh, uh, Christian homes. I mean, they had a, they had a ton in common. Oh yeah, yeah, and you know, more so you find you find you know, Alice's connections with so many of the other celebrities who you'd never think he would be involved with, you know, like all those guys in the Friars Club, and you find out, okay, there's there was commonality there that went be, that did go beyond show business. It had to do with upbringing or being sports fans or, you know. Speaking it, of, of it's Glenn... It's a very K- interesting book, and you should get Thank it. Thank you. Yeah. No matter <laughs> what the price, pay it. And you can kind of open it and read it. That's the you idea. don't really need to have to go from page one to, to, to you the don't end. You don't have to go front to back. Not that you right. want to miss a single syllable, but exactly. But yeah. especially the part where you mention us. That's probably <laughs> my you gotta, favorite you part. You got to get to the end for that. Um also just randomly out of pure boredom I was popping through YouTube and I stumbled onto a Canadian show I don't even know what it was called from the mid 80s and it had Glenn Campbell and Leon Russell just sitting there playing songs and telling stories, right? It's like the original storytellers. Yeah. And Glenn Campbell said took him two months to learn the opening lick to Southern Nights, which J- he said Jerry Reed wrote that. And it yeah. took him t- 
two months to be able to to bang that out. Hmm. Uh, that, that, and go that ahead. Sounds, that sounds odd because Glenn Campbell was a pretty good guitar player. He may have been exaggerating and given I, Jerry a little bit more credit, but I didn't know Jerry Reed wrote that opening riff. And then Leon Russell, they were talking about. Uh, um, Glenn said, "Do you ever meet uh, Elvis?" And Leon Russell said, "Yes, I did." And he goes, "And I I blew it." And Glenn says, "Why? What happened?" He says, "I walked in the room. There Elvis was." And I panicked, and the first thing, and if you, Leon Russell doesn't seem like the kind of guy who panics, right? Right. He said, the first thing I said to Elvis was, how'd you make all those awful movies? Uh, <laughs> well, good for him. Well, he spoke from <laughs> his heart. It's a, legit, it's a legitimate question. Uh, which leads us to Elvis's jet sold this week. Yeah, it did. We talked about it being up for sale um, a couple weeks ago, I think. This is his... Uh, this was the I'm trying to find the the mega with a Lockheed 1962 Lockheed 1329 Jetstar that they had upholstered with shag carpeting and couches and all sorts of luxury and Elvis and the Colonel and Priscilla and the crew all flew around to to gigs uh, for it. He bought it for eight hundred forty thousand um, dollars, but after forty years of sitting on a on a tarmac in the desert, it sold for two hundred sixty thousand dollars. Well, so, plus, you know, when you restore it, you have to put it back to its shag carpet. Uh, well, yeah. nobody has nobody has talked about what's going to happen to the plane now. Um, I suspect it'll end up in a museum somewhere. You know, I think after 40 years, you basically have to rebuild a plane. Oh, yeah. If you're going to fly. Yeah, you have to. So, you know, look for it on a tow truck somewhere on the highway <laughs> with, wide lo- with a wide load sign. Tow truck? Look for that thing with a tow strap on it being pulled down the highway. They could. Yeah, it's got wheels. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, just roll it along. But, yeah, so it's, you know, it, it's, it is in need of repair. All right, Gary. They, they need to restore it to Elvis condition, though, not... Okay, well, we'll we'll put the word out on that. Oh, if it doesn't smell like high karate when I tour it, <laughs> hey, man. I'm going to be upset. All right, Gary, we're out of time. All right, you guys have a good weekend. All right. We'll talk, talk next week. All right, All right talk Gary, to you next Friday, you. Gary. Okay, bye-bye. Our music expert, Gary Graff.